my uh, basic objective this, this afternoon is to give some understanding about some of the challenges that we're facing with what's called the emerging church. Uh, I want to start off by saying what are some of the what are some of the uh, associated problems that so, so you can see that and uh, we work through it maybe hopefully I can connect the dots why this is an important topic for us can't hardly read or do anything without coming to understand the significance and the impact of the doctrinal issues that are at stake and, and we're in a, we're in a culture our churches the problem with the local church is is that there are parachurch organizations out there that are infiltrating the people there are assumptions made every week about congregations they just did a survey survey said pastors said that they were very orthodox and therefore because they had a biblical worldview they tended to believe their people did except when they interviewed their people the people were miles away from having a biblical worldview and, and believing in orthodoxy so in your average church today the pastors aren't in reality about where their people are because the influences outside of his pulpit ministry or in the Sunday school or whatever it is are far greater than his time with them once a week and so we're deeply impacted and, and when you talk to people you'll find out this is a, it's a great issue that we're facing let me I, I just this morning just tried to lay out let me give you this and then we'll go from there but I want to show you what is called the different terms when you talk about the merging church uh at the heart of that is postmodernism, and now they're calling it post-conservative. And so, you know, by name you understand that there's some things they're not trying to conserve or preserve. Uh, and somebody tell me, what is modernism? If we're postmodern, what is modernism? There's some of the bad. You know, give me an intellectual that, what? Yeah. The idea that there is. Objective reality. Okay. Okay, the idea that there is knowable truth. Objective no, knowable truth. reality. Okay? Yes. Cartesian. Okay, and so uh, that's the core. That's the core of the problem. And that out of the modernistic era, uh, you could reason, truth was concrete. There were fixed things that were knowable that were transferable from generation to generation. And, uh, of course, we're being highly uh, general right now. But, anyway, those, these fixed, knowable, uh, reasonable truths, uh, they would say, is modernism. Postmodernism is that we live in a culture now to where things aren't true. In, in concrete form. Things aren't true. They're not noble. You have to experience things for yourself. And so it's postmodern because we don't rational, we're not reasonable, you don't list it. The, thing, the issue of post, or excuse me, of propositional truth. 
It's, it's truth because it's said. All that is being questioned now. And the, the postmodern mind in the church is, is that you cannot, you cannot work with the tools that have been transferred to us in the generations before us. Because the, where the culture is, we have to work with the culture and somehow uh, adjust what we're doing and don't try to evangelize or minister or teach from the modern era. Since it's postmodern, we have to change and adapt to the mindset of the culture that we're in. Now, the good thing is that they brought, and I'm not going to try to stand here and affirm much about the emerging church. Uh, there are people that are doing that. I think we spend way too much time trying to do that. I, I want to tell you about the warning, the, the issues that are at hand. Uh, but they, they have re-emphasized the fact that the gospel, while it is true in and of itself, must be contextualized. We still work with people and cultures, and, and we need to be able to uh, present the gospel. We don't change the gospel, but present it in a way that is culturally relevant. Without changing the content, or the character of God in the process. Now, that's all very generalized, but I, I want to give you some characteristics of the, what we're addressing. Okay? Characteristics, and then I'm going to show you, these are just my thoughts here from all that I've read and tried to study on it. Now, I, I do not have the keenness of mind that Russell has by memory or that Warren would have. So I have to jot this stuff down and try to think it through, and it's not always fully thought through. So, uh, when it comes to postmodernism, and it, it it comes to what when you read or this new movement that's called the emerging church movement (ECM), the emerging church movement. Here's the characteristics, and it's hard because, but because the mindset of the emerging church is postmodernism. That is. There's no definite fixed truth. They keep so changing and words there's no change. Definition for it, yeah, there's there's no real concrete. If you talk to Brian McLaren, I, it, what is this stuff? Mercury. Have you ever taken your hand and put it on mercury? Yeah. Y'all know what I'm talking about in mercury? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. When you mercury, you can have a drop of mercury on your hand and you put your hand on it. It you can't put your hand on it because what it does is it slides out and it'll go in four or five different directions. Then you put your hand on that, it'll go and fall. That's the way they do. Once you put your hand on an area, they change and reshape and redefine. And that's okay. It's whatever. Oh, it, it, absolutely, that's because that's the core. You can't know truth, so it's okay. And so I'll, that's exactly right. So, but here are the characteristics. You will, this is stuff that is common through the movement. It helps us identify. Number one, that is that objective, verifiable truth is unknowable. Objective truth is unknowable. Now they're not going to come out and say this. That's not in print. No. <laughs> this is their reasoning process though and I'll show you. Two. So then objective, verifiable, concrete, documentable truth isn't knowable. So therefore, there are no absolutes. You can't argue from of the proposition that there are absolutes, that some things are absolutely right, some things are absolutely wrong, some things are absolutely good, some things are absolutely evil. That you, All this is up for grabs. Well, not necessarily, because of the mindset that we're dealing with. Okay, secondly, 
Here's what they say. When it comes to the Bible, here's why what Russell shared is so important. When it comes to Scripture, their argument is, you can't know truth. You can't say it's true truth. To use Francis Schaeffer's statement, true truth. You can't know true truth because you're an interpreter of interpreters. This book is human and divine. God's in it, but men wrote it. And so they were interpreters and they're influenced by certain things and we're influenced by certain things. So what they do is they castrate the ability to have knowable or to understand something as fixed and definite. Everything becomes a question. So that leads to we are interpreters of interpreters and this is, this is what they'll say. Each with our own bias, each with our own history, each with our own experience, personal experience and cultural prejudices and self-interest and we're tainted uh, by all this so that there is an that we have an inability to understand truth or scripture with any sense of clarity. You can't know it. It's ambiguous. Why? Because we're all influenced by how we've come up, our traditions, our former beliefs, our parents, uh, the culture we've been in, our own self-interest. And so, at the end of the day, the one word that would summarize all this is unbelief. You brothers ought to be ripping into this. Uh, Thank boy. But in a, in, a, in a funny way, Pastor... To them, that that you go farther, you go farther thinking like this. What do you mean? Well, ah. they're in the sense that you know the mo the modern idea is that you you know you you see something or you you create the hypothesis for it, the scientific method. You find out what it is. Yeah. You discover it, and that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. In this, so. And that's their, to me, as I understand, that's part of their issue with it. That that only takes it so far that you can go, I can get more, I can get more this way, even though it's more abstract, because what I think, and then you think, what he thinks, there's, it, it's, it's a broad, they would think that modern. The modern idea is, is restricting, more shallow and, this is and restrictive, open, yeah. and that's deeper. Even, but when we look at it, yeah. I mean, it's, it doesn't get us anywhere. Okay. And the and the you you're know, right. That that is their argument. It I, is. I think it's it, yes. It, it's contradictory. It is contradictory. It's contradictory because at, at the end of the day, there you can't know truth. So no. it doesn't matter how many people you talk to. You're not get, yes, that's exactly right. There are no boundaries. There's, there is no conclusion, no conclusion to the postmodern mind. You can't come to a conclusion. Mm -hmm. All you can do is converse about it. Yes. So you draw off of these different resources and sources, right? Mm -hmm. that, and I'm going to talk to you about it in just a moment. The key thing I want to talk to you about is open source theology. Because that's how they get truth. The Bible is not the source for truth. Yes. It's all just like you said. You talk to this one. And it's all about a conversation. Yes. What's Let's have point? it. Their point what is, is the point? Where are they going? The point well, is to well, go ahead, go brother, ahead. teach it. Well, in my opinion, the 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 point is um, 
<laughs> depending on who you talk to about yeah. it, it would be, they'd have different points, man. But the, so it's to go. It's it's just to go farther, you know. Yeah, Father, the question is, what's the destiny? At the end of the day, what is the destiny? You're saying they say you can go further. They can where? Where do they want to go? They want to go beyond. By the title, they want to go to the beyond the modern, beyond the stopping point of the modern. In other words, the fix, the definite, the certainty, the rules, the norms, the principles—all that restricts us, right? Yeah. They want the throne. That's exactly battles for the throne. It is. That's yeah. exactly right. Okay. And you know, and I think it, it helped me, Pastor, to understand this too. I mean, we, you know, po- postmodern is not just a church word. No, no, that's, that's, a, that's, that's our a, culture. That's the the cultural yeah. word, but it really hasn't until this emerging thing that I understand. I mean, this is when it's made its way now into into our house. Is that right? It's made uh, okay. You know. I mean, the, the emerging church is the thing that's brought. Now, it seemed, it didn't seem to me like that the postmodern ideas were as much in the church oh. as they are now. Now they're becoming more popularized. I, at Christ for the Nations, uh, we were drawing off from all uh, different streams and denominations, mm-hmm. and, and and it's those stu- those people coming in out of high schools, encultured in postmodernism. Yeah. They think and act with a postmodern mindset, mm-hmm. so the church wasn't changing that. Right. In fact, the postmodern mindset has changed the church. The church, that's what's happened, yeah. So, uh, characteristics. Objective truth is unknowable. You cannot know it. Uh, all you can do is talk about truth. But they redefine that. Inability for clarity of Scripture. It's all ambiguous. All this stuff taints us so that we can't know it. So there is no certainty. That means truth is not definable. Nor is truth defendable. So you will not find them defending something as an absolute. Wow. Except that there are no and and it's self contradictory because their absolute is there are no absolutes. Well, are you absolutely sure? It's self this is the question that the theologians pose to them. How how are you absolutely sure of that? Your premise is an absolute. You can't know truth. Well, if you can't know truth, what is your quest? Right. Where are you going? <laughs> it, it, hey, listen. Here's how bad this is. Ted's looking at this over here. Uh, Time Magazine recently named Brian McLaren, who is one of the name brand leaders of this movement, this doctrine that I'm giving you. Brian McLaren, founding pastor of Cedar Ridge Community Church in Maryland, as one of the America's most influential evangelicals. A man that believes this. He'll be interviewed. He does ABC, NBC, Larry King. He's on. This, he is the voice for so-called the new evangelicalism. So, he's, it says he's one of the most influential figures of the emerging church. Now, do they believe in salvation? Well, okay, I've got to get there. Hold on. Well, if this is true, if this is what they believe, well, the question is, salvation from what? And what is salvation? And who can get it? And who can be excluded? Because, see, here's where this leads. All of this, your questions are legitimate. All of this right here, the fifth point is, there is no such thing as 
historical orthodoxy. Yeah. Once you throw <laughs> this baby out, there is no such thing as... What is it, Warren? It's so absurd. Yeah, there's no such thing as historical orthodoxy. So what the postmodernists, the, the emer- let me use this for the church part, the emerging church movement, their premise is we throw out what's been defined because it was defined as truth by the modern mind. Therefore, we throw out that mindset and the way they came to truth. Now, we have to redefine truth. We have to discover it for ourselves. So, history. So, what goes out the window? The creeds. The councils. Things that have been transferable, defined and defended by life and death. All throughout the years, they're out the window and they're starting over to define truth. Now, hold on. Because this is just a second. Let me, let, me, let me get this. I want to give you some illustration. This is the emerging mystique. I remember me and you having an argument. Uh, not an argument, excuse me. You were really saved. I remember that. Uh, we had a, a conversation about this. when, it, when uh, Jim and I were conversing. This stuff hit, hit our lives. And boy, this sent people. People started setting up movements and models based on this. Uh, Rob Bell. Now, Rob Bell has 10,000 people, they tell me, as I understand what I've read. Never been there. Not going. Uh, Here's what Rob Bell says. We're rediscovering Christianity. We're rediscovering Christianity. He's a pastor now, one of the largest churches out there. So he says, uh, he pastors Mars Hill. Where is it? In uh, Michigan. Michigan. Grand Rapids. Grand Rapids, okay. Life... In the church, now his wife says, has, had become so small. It had worked for a long time, then it stopped working. Well, that's not like pragmatism, doesn't it? It's not truth because it's true. It was truth as long as it worked. But, you know, when it ceased, turbulence came. I, I don't know if my fundamental principle is true here. I better change it. Here's what they say. The Bells started questioning their assumptions about the Bible itself. Now you know why... What Russell said was so important when you start talking about inspiration, inerrancy, uh, the canon. Because that's what they start attacking. Do, well, wait a minute. All that, our beliefs were formed by some kind of modernistic view and they shaped it. We don't, I don't know if we're going to buy in it. So Bell started questioning their assumptions about the Bible itself. Here's what they said. Discovering the Bible as a human product. What did that do to the book? If that's a human product, I'm a human. We're fallen. They're fallen. This thing's tainted. They had self-interest. They were tainted by their culture. They're a product of their environment and their sinful condition. Whoa, this isn't an absolute book. This is just a human book. So therefore, this does not become the only source for knowing or having knowledge. I need to get out beyond the book. There's other realms and spheres for me to tap into. Let's converse. Let's talk to a Buddhist. Let's talk to a Hindu. Let's talk to a Muslim. This is their doctrine. I'll read it for you in just a minute. Document it for you. You've got to understand, the guys that propon- the proponents of this are some of the leading men in the church today. There's a church in this city right here. Youth pastor left this church across the street. He left this. He recruited people. Went and had them trained by the emerging church movement. Took them and started a church here in this city. With the intent to create a postmodern church. 
which is founded on unbelief that you cannot know truth. And this inability to have no truth for certainty, it is experience-oriented. Your experience becomes the defining thing for your life. You know it's real if you've experienced it. That's why I talked about Rama versus Logos the other day. And the highest virtue is tolerance. You've got to be open to everybody. There's truth out there. Everybody got some truth. <coughs> and so there's no historical orthodoxy. Listen to what he said. Discovering the Bible as a human product, as Rob Bell puts it, rather than the product of divine fiat. God didn't get the book. Men wrote it. That's, that's, all, that's called liberalism in the old days. Today it's called the emerging church. It's a movement. It's a model. Pardon my sarcasm. I like what Mark Driscoll calls it, prophetic sarcasm. Hey! It says this, the Bible, now here's where they get contradictory, Jim. The Bible is still in the center for us. Oh, it's a human product, but it's in the center. But listen to this. But it's a different kind of center. <laughs> Which center is it? It's in the center, but it's a different kind of center. That's like a square circle, isn't it? We got a circle, it's just square now. No, you can't. That defies logic. But then again, logic is a product of the modern era. So it can't doesn't have to be logical. Okay? We want to embrace mystery. 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 Rather than conquer it. Hello. I grew up thinking we had figured out the Bible, that we knew what it means. Now I have no idea. People follow these heretics. I'm with you. I'm laughing. They drive me insane. So, you, you so, grow a church by telling people you don't have a clue. <laughs> I can run them all by telling them I think I have a clue. Yeah. So you knowing truth? Are they trying instead of, instead of wanting to discover truth? Are they trying to create mystery? Is that I mean? Is that yes. what they're doing? Is create, yes. trying to create mystery? By getting away from truth, creating mystery, because that's what they're embracing. That's right. And so, what they're about, you say, what's the product? There is not a product. For the postmodern, for the emerging church, it's all about the journey. Let's enjoy the journey. And I don't mean that like we've been using it here. It is, let's talk. Let's converse. Uh, Scholars tell us that the basic characteristic of the emerging church is they want to have a discussion and dialogue. Don't be judgmental. Don't tell the person they're wrong. Because you need to be humble. You need to be generous in what you believe because this is a book by people, by men. You're a man. You're fallen. So you can't come to a good conclusion. An absolute conclusion. That's all in the church. Brother, I'm telling you. Get up and preach something and that's why we run them off. It's not because (laughs) we're running them off. We're just saying there's some things non-negotiable. I got up that Sunday and said, here's where we're going. We're not going to change it. Not trying to. This is truth for us. Right? And then so you lose people. Well, who are you? You're arrogant. (laughs) Because they've been told, humility says, be suspicious of knowing anything definable. Humility says, anybody heard John Osteen? He's eat up with this doctrine. Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen. No, 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 not John. I'm sorry. Joel Osteen. Eat up with this. Get him on Larry King. I've got the transcripts and the videos. Yeah. Every time you ask him something, I don't know. I don't know. 
So humble. Then he's got the beautiful white teeth smile. <laughs> so humble, then he's a pretty boy. I, I don't know. Are they teaching this in the government school? Well, this is, yes. That's what, that's what, yeah, that whole mindset. Here in the university, is it there? Oh, yeah. I mean, you take, if you take a modern philosophy class, the last person they talk about is Kant because he sparked this movement. And they say, this is what we're in now. I mean, you read uh, Kant's book and then any class you take nowadays. So if you come in here and try to get, if you get dogmatic or try to say this is truth, then you're just judgmental and you're intolerant. The way that it shows up in the church is the issue of homosexuality. You can't be judgmental. I'll show you that in just a moment. Okay, implications of this. When you come to the Bible, the implications of this right here, well, I'll show you what a homosexual is. No, no. no visual. No visual. This is, I ain't doing that. That's tragic. Yes, when we get the Characteristic. This is what defines it. If you read it and you look, you'll come up with this stuff. Or you listen to the interviews or hear them talk. What's the implications then of this kind of thinking? First, there's a hermeneutic of suspicion. You never come to the Bible with any sense that you're going to get clarity. It's ambiguous. You can't know truth. Therefore, you need to be suspicious of your own ability to know anything. That attacks. Remember I said there are two battlefronts. The fundamentalists had to fight the war on the battle for the Bible. Now, we are having to fight that. The same thing. Is the Bible authoritative? Secondly, if it is... Well, you still, how do you know you can know what it says? How can you read the Bible and come up with truth? We are fighting the battle of the authority of Scripture and the doctrine of clarity. Do you remember I told you the word P-E-R-S-C-U-I-T-Y? Perspicuity. Yeah. That has to do with the doctrine of clarity, that Christians can know with certainty truth from Scripture. And that it has been passed on, it's been defined, and it can be defended. That is a doctrine that's a battleground that ministers don't even wage war on today. Oh, the Bible's true, but how can... So then they've gone to, well, how do you know you know what it says? By the way, you have biases, self-interest, culture influence, you can't know. Okay, secondly, the, the inability to know with clarity... So you've got to be suspicious of your own ability to be able to interpret the Bible. That attacks the fundamental doctrine of priesthood of all believers. That, this, does, this, this attacks every major doctrine. Then you come down here to the inability of clarity. That is, what does that mean? You can't know truth for certainty, so you've got to be open to more sources of truth. It's called open source. Now, I didn't find anything that laid this out. I wish I had. This is just, I'm trying to give you a synopsis of my understanding of the issues as they are. Thirdly, it's experience-oriented. What's the implication of that? Okay, pragmatism. What works? That's why you start talking about, recently I had a discussion with a pastor, we are talking about church discipline. He said, but if I do that, what, what about the people here? What if, first thing they do is go, what are the consequences? What is a pragmatic view of life? Will it work? Will it produce what I really want to do? It's not if it's true, therefore i got to live by the principle and suffer whatever fallout. It's a pragmatic approach. That's experience-oriented. I know truth because of what I've experienced, and therefore 
principle goes out the window. What works is what is implemented. Mm. Pragmatism becomes superior and reality is experience-based. Okay? What works for me? Fourthly, tolerance. That means, okay, then the truth is uh, relative. What does that mean? It's relative to the circumstances of the situation. Truth is not once and for all settled. It depends on the circumstances. That's situational ethics. Depends on the situation. Is it adultery? Well, it depends on what the situation is. <laughs> it's relative. And this opens up then to what somebody just said a while ago. You asked about salvation. Well, tolerance means if truth is relative, then there's... Truth comes from all kinds of sources, so it's pluralism. All roads lead to God. You just may be on a different journey. Let's talk about it. Tell me about your experience. What have you experienced? Oh. And then it sounds like they're going to have a spiritual orgasm. Oh, I love that. Visual. Relative. Plural, pluralism, inclusive. So everything's inclusive. You need to be more inclusive. Gosh, you're you're so intolerant. You're so judgmental. I've been getting that for years. Every time I had one of these people crop their stinking head up. And here's, here's how it fleshes itself out in the church. We don't ever just get upset. I don't believe in truth. We'll say, you're judgmental, you're intolerant, and you're not a pastor. If you was a pastor, you'd make me feel like I'm loved. That's exactly what they do. Been that done that got the t-shirt. Two churches behind me. <laughs> Alright. Full of unbelief. This is just some of the points. So it attacks inerrancy, inspiration, inerrancy, and canonicity. There's no authority. You've got to keep undermining it. Whole premise is unbelief. One cannot know what God has spoken with any sense of certainty or clarity. Now the Bible calls this destitute of truth. But then again, you'd have to read Paul and believe that what he said had some weight to Timothy. 1 Timothy 6. Men who are destitute. There's no truth in this. These are, what, what, what Jude say? These are clouds without rain. There's nothing in them. They're what Paul called in Corinthians. Ministers of Satan. And that's the good part I can say about <laughs> So they want to have a conversation. Let's give them one. I think you wish you could come up with some spiritual swear words, don't you? That'll be something we could say. Stick your tongue out of it. Stick your tongue out of it. I guess we can say what Galatians says. Damn you. Galatians 1. That's what Paul said. Anathema. <laughs> Paul says in Galatians, damn you, be a curse. The curse of God be on you if you try to change what truth is. Notice he didn't, I, like, I shared this and people get frustrated. And I, I, I preach this with too much joy, they tell me. Uh, Paul said, because I believe the whole counsel of God, I believe we ought to be able to get excited about what God hates as well as what God loves. Amen. You don't have to cry on one and laugh with the other. 
You can laugh at both of them. <laughs> God hates liars. These guys are liars, folks. Do you understand people going to hell? They're going to be in a devil's hell because somebody listened to them. Well, anyway, i got to go on. Paul's double curse on them twice. 1 Timothy 6 is what I quoted a while ago. Okay. i got to move on. That's my introduction. Now listen to this. Mark Driscoll. Now I love Mark Driscoll. Do I always agree with him? No. found very little that I, do. I disagree with him. I love the brother. He said, I believe that he's doing an interview. I tried to find this. I'll print this out for you and publish it. Put it in LaGrange paper. Tell the paper. Uh, sign his name to it. Man, send it in. They'll print it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Here's what he said. They asked him a question about postmoderns. Mark Driscoll. About uh, postmodern Christians. Mark Driscoll says, I believe postmoderns are simply not Christians. Oh, oh wow. That's good. Don't, don't you like it when men got a fair? What's he doing for the kingdom? I bet he got 20 people. No, he's got close to 10,000. He's preaching the gospel. At the same time, he's fighting on the battlefield. Okay. D.A. Carson. The emerging... Excuse me, this is not D.A. Carson. John MacArthur. Another guy I love. Don't always agree with, but love him. He says this. And, and by the way, he's, he's not been our friend with the gifts and whole, uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit. John MacArthur. The emerging church is a form of paganism. Wow. Yeah. Now you know why I like him. <laughs> he feeds something in me that doesn't need to be fed. I know. Okay? That's just two thoughts. Then when you read, finally people are stepping up and saying, you know, maybe if it comes to salvation, we ought to call it heresy. Um, now, let me give you... i got some quotes here that are just priceless. You ought to have to pay for them. <laughs> Brian McLaren, you gotta love this guy. He just makes he just makes me feel good. Here's what he says. This is in Leadership Magazine, uh, 2006. Where does this church stand on homosexuality? They asked him in this interview, 2006. They asked Brian McLaren. Remember, he's one of the leading figures in the evangelical church, supposedly. Uh, it's not this one. I got it over here. Aha! I got too much of a mess. I'll read this one. He said, I've learned, when they asked him about homosexuality, I've learned from Jesus that there's more to answering your question than being right. <laughs> you see this vagueness? This ambiguity? <laughs> so, oh, he's so humble. No, he's dumb. <laughs> Spiritually bankrupt and destitute of truth. The issue's not being right. That's not the issue. We don't need truth. Here's what he says. Or even honest. Honesty not a virtue. It's a gift of which he doesn't have. Okay. He says we must be a pastoral. So don't be honest. Don't worry about being right. Be pastoral. So that's what people want. They're trained. So if you're honest and you're forthright, guess what you're going to get? They're going to cut for the hut. They're going to find some man that's pastoral who will lie to them, who will compromise and dumb it down. That's what he says. This has infiltrated the church. Okay? 
You can't speak the truth in love because we don't know what love is. We don't know what truth is, so you can't speak it and you can't love them. But they got to feel like it. As long as they feel like they love. This is crazy. All right. He says, that means then understanding the question beneath the question. That's where I want to go. That deep mystery. Why are you saying that? Why would you even ask that question? Let's go deep. Right. I'm not a stinking psychologist. I really don't care. <laughs> the church that hates And he says this to be biblical, we must have our word seasoned. Now, that part I got to work on. Here's what he says They ask him about where does your church stand on homosexuality? This is his answer It's not about being honest, it's not about being right, it's about being pastoral. So he says, most of the emerging church leaders I know share my agony over this question. What agony? <laughs> that was his answer. What agony? Right here. <laughs> most of the emerging leaders I know share my agony over this question. Well, agonize. But tell the truth and be, you know, tell us. Oh, I agonize. <laughs> he, he was mentored by Bill Clinton. <laughs> I feel their pain. Well, are people, people sinners by nature? Oh, most of the people I lead with know the agony of that question. <clears throat> Frankly, here's what he said. Many of us don't know what we should think about homosexuality. Hear that virtue? What's up? Well, if you don't know what to think about homosexuality, why? We're 2,000 years old in Christianity. Thousands of years old when you take the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. what is, which one of these is that? We don't know what to think. Uh, huh? Uh, there's no historical orthodoxy. There's no doctrine on it. Number one. Number one. There's no objective truth. You can't know it. Number two. It's all. Yeah, the Bible's not clear. We don't know. I don't know what to think. I can't renew my mind. I don't know where to go to renew my mind. I'm one of the top level evangelical ministers. And so I'm like, Joel, I don't know. <laughs> but I can make you feel like I do. I can make you feel good about my uncertainty. About my lack of clarity. About my ambiguity. This is all hyperbole I'm doing to keep you awake. <laughs> but this is what we're dealing with. Brothers, yep. there's people in this city right here that live by this stinking stuff. And I want you to know, I believe that the young man that started, I tell him, that left this church over here and went out to start a church based on this premise is an enemy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's my enemy and he's an enemy of the cross. Oh, now guess what I'm guilty of? Oh, brother, you're judgmental. You're in talk. In fact, you're just stinking mean-spirited. Yeah? <laughs> so I think we ought to bring back stoning. <laughs> in love. <laughs> just tell him before you hit him with the rocks. Let me give you a hug. <laughs> you're about to go be with Jesus. <laughs> All roads lead to God. Yeah. You're about to go there. And he's going to judge you. Okay. Here's what he says. If we think that there may actually be a legitimate... Excuse me. He says, even if we are convinced that homosexual behavior is always sinful. Even if we are. Even if. There's no sake, no clarity, no certainty. But even if we did know. Here's what he said. If we think that there may actually be a legitimate context for some, some homosexual relationship... 
Do you hear all this ambiguity and that, oh, well, there may be some context where homosexual behavior be, maybe even be profitable. I don't know. We know that the biblical arguments are nuanced and multi-layered. The pastoral <laughs> ramifications are staggeringly complex. You can't know. That, this doesn't make you mad. You've eaten too much at lunch. It just doesn't make you mad. There ought to be a holy anger that comes up in you. We aren't sure if or where lines are to be drawn. And these are pastors' times. Nor do we... He's a false shepherd. Nor do we know how to enforce with fairness whatever lines are drawn. Let's say we, do know how to, we don't know how to come up with lines, but if we did have a standard, we wouldn't know how to implement it. So let's all do a group hug. That's what he's saying. And, and let's let them feel like we care about them. Okay. Here's what he says. This is Brian McLaren. Perhaps we need a five-year moratorium on making pronouncements. In the meantime, on homosexuality, in the meantime, we'll practice prayerful Christian dialogue. Five years, we're not going to say it's wrong. Out with orthodoxy. Out with historical literalism. Okay, now let's talk. What do you think? Gosh, that's a good point. Gosh, that's another good point. You contradict each other, but... I love cognitive <laughs> dissonance. One side of your brain's dissing the other. That's wonderful. Doesn't it make you feel good? Let's talk about it for five years. Here's what he says. Then, oh, and now here, this is even better. We need a five-year moratorium on making pronouncements, judgments. In the meantime, we'll practice prayerful Christian dialogue, listening respectively, respectfully, disagreeing agreeably. When decisions need to be made, they'll be admittedly provisional. What does that mean? After five years, we're going to make a decision. What does provisional mean? Here is the end of the conclusion for five years. However, we're not certain if it's true. Then he says, we'll keep our ears attuned to scholars in biblical studies, theology, ethics, psychology, genetics, sociology, and related fields. Then in five years, if we have clarity, we'll speak. If not, we'll set another five years for ongoing reflection. Many important issues in church history took centuries to figure out. So we're in this for the long haul. We can't know for a long time. Centuries. And we'll patiently wait for the wind of the Spirit. We'll feel like we're doing something. That's pretty disgusting. Absolutely. That's pretty disgusting. That's in Leadership Magazine. I love Leadership Magazine. And he writes in here all the time. You know what they're doing? They're giving him credibility. That's wrong. But I don't know what to. I don't know how to convince people. I'm not mean, and I'm not. See, it's more. It's more. You can be popular by being a heretic, and be unpopular by pointing out one. That's right. Yes. Right. So I'm the bad guy all of a sudden because of this belief system. I'm the, I'm the mean-spirited, unsaved, unloving, judgmental, intolerant guy who has a, a tough time getting 50 people together. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? right. Well, they're basically coming to church and acting like they weren't coming to church. That's why people like it. They ain't coming to church. They're coming to a group setting. You're not a Christian. You're just, it's another social gathering. I agree. And a real Christian, they but would, some, that's the You're right. Some of your largest churches, though, are... Let me read this to you. This has eaten us up. Hey, Scott McKnight. Anybody heard of Scott McKnight? I've heard of him. 
Okay, you, you'll find him. He's, he's supposedly a sharp theologian, sharp guy. Andy Crouch. Anybody heard of Andy Crouch? Okay, these are, these are name brand guys. They did a pastor's conference in California, and they did a panel. Andy Crouch was on the panel. five or six people. Andy Crouch introduced the third critical issue facing the church, homosexuality. And so here's what they said. While the panelists disagreed on whether or not homosexual practice is sinful. Wow. The panel. These are all, these are all evangelical, supposedly scholars. They were clear that the church must do a better job of pastoring those who are gay. Then one of them said, we must remember the human side. This is a real life experience. These people. So Scott McKnight says, the challenges for those pastors who are more traditional is how to create a safe environment for those who are gay to worship. Worship what? What are they going to worship? The evangelical church, he said, has mostly failed in this area. He, they said this. The question really is, can a gay person serve in leadership? That's the question. That's the question. Now, I know that sounds... Not just All these. This is what we're dealing with. Come down to this. And if you believe this, you're a Bible thumper. That's what they used to call the fundamentals. Right. Bible thumpers. Right. Yeah. Well, this is the reason why we have the, the MCC church, the homosexual religious yes. establishment. But the problem is it's become mainstream in the evangelicalism. Absolutely. It, it has become mainstream. And we are now the outcast of Israel. Now, biblically speaking, we're called the remnant. But that sounds Aryan. <laughs> yeah. We're the remnant, right? Well, the church, you know, for them, the church is... Whatever it is, is constantly changing, and so for us to hold a, hold on to what we're holding on and anchoring here is to them, in my view, no different than you know they look at what we hold on to like like some like the old time like we look like the Pentecostals were, were holding on to no makeup and, and that, yeah. that kind of stuff. That's a good point. But they were You're right. They were uh, you know they were out of touch. They were behind the times yes. and all that kind of stuff. Yes. And they and they banged the thing and we'll never change and you know so there was evolution there. And now they're looking at us as in, in that in that light. I agree with that. That's right. Yeah, we're and, the ones that are, and, and they the, the term they use, here's what you'll hear. I, I believe I'm saying this right, y'all can help me. Because grammar is not my thing. Anachronistic. Is that how you say it? Anachronistic. 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 Yeah. <laughs> How does it say it? Anachronistic. <laughs> yeah. You know what that means? Nope. Out of order. Out of date. Out of Back date. at a different time. You're an old fogey. Right. You think. You're locked in. You're old-fashioned. You're locked into a different era that is not relevant. And that's what, the, what I have understood is that the, their point is in we're in a postmodern age with a church that's in a modern age. That's exactly what they're saying. And we, because the world is radically changing, the church has to then radically with it. Yeah, and if you don't, mm -hmm. you're in you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. You're not you're not you're not and then, truthful. Yeah, but there is no truth, so it doesn't matter. And they're what they're <laughs> radical about is disconnecting from the idea of being modern. 
Yes. And that's why, you know, one of the things they do is ancient rites. That's right. They're, they're into the ancient where they go back before the modern. Smells and bells. They got bells and smoke. and That's right. So their ancient rituals are important, etc. Y'all, you lost me there. Why, why do they do that? The rituals. They, they do that because, because, because they want to break from modernism. You know, modernism, the idea that there is, that, that things are objectable, okay. knowable, etc. Wow. So they go back, so they're postmodern, but so they go back in their rituals to pre-modern. Yeah. You know, the modern age, in my view, started in like the 1500s, etc. Mm-hmm. When That's we, right. we began the scientific revolution, right. the Enlightenment. So they go back before the, before that time to the ancient time and the ritual practices that were oftentimes superstitious and etc. And that's where the reason we have modernism is because of what was happening in pre-modern times was superstition. There was no, they weren't basing their truth on, they were, they were guessing at truth. They came up with that just through a conversation. Well, if you remember, this is rooted in the book of Genesis. Mark Driscoll points this out. That in Genesis, you remember, Satan, in the form of a serpent, came up to Eve and says, let's have a conversation. That's where it started. Emerging church is rooted in satanic deception, conversation. Let's talk about, remember, and the conversation was, did God say? Did God say? And if did God did say, did you really understand it? Mm-hmm. That's this. Yeah, it is. Right. That's this. Absolutely. Right there. Did yeah. God say? Yeah. Is there any authority in what He said? Secondly, if He did say, it, you sure you understood it? Chapter three. You can't. You can't know what He meant. Let me tell you what. You didn't know what He meant because if you'd understood, you know, saying God knows that you will be like Him if you can figure out what's right here. That was a conversation. That's what they want me to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing they use, in my understanding, is that they, you know, on all their websites and all this stuff, they, they all, and all their groups, they have a lot of art form stuff. So art is a big thing in their group. Oh yeah. Because symbol. Yeah. Because right. art. Because art. Then you know, what's what's beautiful. You know what I mean. So, so that's why they like art because art can be a conversation. We These can, are contemporary hippies. You can, you know, it's what we, <laughs> that's how they are. You can you sit know. and look at art, and art is not an objective. I mean, that's right. Art it's, is subjective. It, because when you look at it, yeah. it the beauty is in the, the eyes of the one looking. The, beholder. So the experience art, I have. Oh, that was a moment. They have art, <laughs> art days, art week. I mean, it's, it's a real big part of it. There's yeah, a, that's a good point. There was Very a good. church in a, uh, right by Crider's church. You could play in the sand. Yeah, like you you make like you know you do rock gardens. I bet they dig rocks on weekends. Yeah, yeah, they're out on your property. Some of them are. This is let me let me throw some things out, some terms, and I'll come right back to you. Here are, this is the assessment of this. First of all, they have an hermeneutic of suspicion when they approach. If you've gone, if you want to, if you want to find out what this is like, go on antagonize.com. Go over to 
uh, what do you call it when we have the block the where they're responding? Yeah. Whatever that is over there, where they're but there's a different. It says something on my site, but you'll see where people have com comments and stuff. Yeah. Okay, go on there and just start reading on there and listen to some of these guys that are embedded and encultured that were graduates of Christ for the Nations. Men, one of the guys that's on there writing about this is at Gateway Church, one of our larger churches in the U.S., where my friend Bobby Bogart is. I, I found out Alan's own staff out there. I got ticked. Because he's defending this position. And then there's another guy on there uh, who writes this and he says, truth is not organic. It's not monolithic. It is multiple. It's complex. It's pluralistic. I just want to worship with him. <laughs> Some stinking rock. And I finally, I started calling him Athenian. I'd say, oh, Athenian, you're looking for something novel and new. He's crazy. Made him mad. He finally quit writing on there. He wanted to have... Here's what he wanted to do. Can't we just dialogue? Can't we just have a conversation? Why? There's no boundaries and there's no conclusion in sight. That's because of... Let me submit this to you. Adam, go ahead. You were going to share something. Oh, you know what? Before you do them, Hermeneutical suspicion, biblical anarchy, doctrinal passive, pacifism, biblical dissonance, spiritual Darwinians. You know what that means? Spiritual, uh, Darwin's, uh, Darwinian. I'm, I'm not saying that right. Darwinians. Darwinians. I can't Darwinians. say it right. Okay. In other words, they're emerging and evolving. We don't know what we're going to be. We're still. Ooh, what was that? Oh, coming forth. They don't know. I'm going to follow reprobate minds. These guys are crazy. I'm sorry. They're crazy. But you know what's worse? These goofy people sitting out there listening to them. <laughs> Spiritual Darwinianism. Is that right? Okay. Anti-foundationalism. There's nothing in history we can draw off of. We've got to discover it ourselves. And open source theology. Go ahead, brother. Open source theology. Go ahead. So, it appears to me that they're basically they got fed up with a little bit of tradition that's they exactly right. it all out. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. So yeah. they, they're like, well, I don't like how the way service is, so yeah. I'm just going to throw church out completely and do whatever I want. That's very good. And like, and, then you, and uh, another example of the opposite, that would be Mark Driscoll, who, you know, he he changed the order of service up and all that stuff. He didn't throw it all out. He kept the theology, sure but he did. changed how he did it. He sure did. That's right. So it, In his con he contextualized, but kept true. He took... Good point. He's like, he seems like the midway point to where, like, if you want, if you want that type of a church, I mean, go to a. Well, he's five point reformed. Yeah, go so to a reform. go to that type of church. Yeah, but this is just I want to get together and hang out with people and say it's a religion. Which goes to why it was what what formed this? People got fed up with church as yes. they know it. That's right. And so they threw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Instead of reforming the church, they threw it out, rebelled against it biblically, spiritually, in every dimension. So they. And I now declare. you say, how did it get birth? It got birth in a sense of rebellion toward uh, what they would say would be a holy rebellion that they were casting off. But where is it going? Nowhere. Because there's nowhere to go. We don't know where we're going because there's nothing to tell us where we're going. Except that, here's what they say. Brian McLaren writes an article. Here's what he says. We have a higher view of Scripture. 
saying he has a higher view? Of he does. He says he has a higher view of Scripture. Yeah. He's writing against Al Mohler who says he has too low a view of Scripture. He undermines scriptural authority. Brian McLaren says we have the higher view of Scripture. That's where what Jim said earlier. They say that, that modernism restricts. But they're saying we have a higher view of Scripture. We're allowing truth to just come forth while we're broad in our beliefs. We have a high view of Scripture. No, you don't. You don't even believe the book. That's right. Yeah. That's postmodern mind. Why? Words don't have meanings. You have a high view. Well, a high view used to mean you esteem this as being credible with authority. A high view for him means, oh, we go beyond the text. So they've changed the meaning of words. But, you know, Pastor, I think what you said earlier is so important because they, they're not going to have a seminar in an emerging church and write that. No. They're not going to tell you that. No. You have to find that. That's exactly you to, right. You have to They're look. good. That's why, I'll tell you, I've been working on this for years, man, yeah. because to dig out what, what are they doing? What are they saying? What are, they saying? And what are the implications of it? You know, because, you know, um, when I was in Louisville two and a half years ago, Brian McLaren was coming to, to Al Mohler's seminary, man. He was. That's right. He was they canceled him, though. They canceled him. They did. But, but my point is, he was almost there, and somebody said, wait a minute, man. We, we, because they, they don't want it to be that clear, that. That's right. That, yeah, they're never going to tell you this. They're not going to tell if you, you if we did this right here, they would use other terms and to they say would, it's not right. This, they tell you that, you know, we, that's not true. Here's what they said about Al Mohler. He don't, here, and, and, how do you defend against this? He don't understand us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do. You're goofy. <laughs> yeah. We understand goofy. What, what is it the old <laughs> comedian it. says on blue collar? You can't fake stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Rednecks understand that. Yeah. Now, let me tell you real quick. I'm going to finish this up. Two or three minutes. Open source theology. This is the core of this issue. This is where they'll go. In fact, you go look this up. Google open source theology. That's where you get it. Open source theology. What is it? Here's what they say. It's community driven. We're dependent upon a wide range of contributors through conversational interaction. Believing that this is an appropriate means of developing theology and for our belief about God and Christ to emerge. Isn't that a trip? We're going to get truth. Conversation. Let's talk about it. Try that with your kids next time. Let's just talk. There's no right and wrong here. You didn't do wrong by repainting my car. <laughs> That's just a perception I have. Let's talk about it. Open source theology simply means everything is open-ended. You can't come to a conclusion. Nothing's definable. It's always incomplete. The word that they use while they go on homosexuality is it's always provisional. If we come to a conclusion, there's a provision. We could be wrong. In fact, theirs is, you need to assume you're going to be wrong. Go ahead. Well, exactly. What? You know, this is kind of, um, for example, we, you know, this, we're having a conversation here. Mm-hmm. And we, and, and, and each person has enhanced That's exactly right. So there's an element of truth. I got you. So there's an element no. of, That's right. 
reality in that, in that they, you know, that the, we, we, we can learn when we put our parts together. But our boundary is yeah, exactly. we cannot we, we have defy a, this. Yeah, we can't. Right. We have. That's why that's important because that's, that's our anchor. That's it. Because it's, yeah. it's this our boundary right, right here. To do to bring the apostle and the prophet and the evangelist, pastor, teacher, and all of us together to converse, and we're better together than we are separately. Yes. But we have that as an anchor. If you don't have that, yeah. you're in trouble. Wouldn't a better word than anchor be rock? Yeah. As in Matthew seven twenty four. Yeah. Now nah, we don't like it. <laughs> in the book. That's not truth, man. <laughs> <laughs> so it changes from rock to mud to sand. Yes, it does, yeah. And it's all the same. Yeah, if you have exactly. a good time in the process. You know what? I wanted to read to you. Uh, let me give you some, some names. Because when you see these names, I'm telling you. You don't have to live by it. You don't even have to believe me. But I'm telling you. You're about to flee. You need to flee. The wrath to come that's on these guys. Say it slow. There are several guys I think we all need to be warned about. Brian McLaren, Rob Bell, Tony Campolo. Tony Campolo's a heretic. Tony Campolo says Hindus and Muslims. He says Muslims are more Christian than evangelicals. Love Jesus more than we do. But he didn't used to be, did he? No. Tony Campolo was one. He preached you happy, man, man, 30 years ago. He's deeply rooted in this right here. His wife advocates homosexual marriage. She's a heretic that ought to be excommunicated from the church. He does seminars with her in the homosexual community. You can go online, look it, look it up, and you'll find there where they go in and do. I've listened to them. I've listened to their presentation. You and then there are things on there that refer you to sites where homosexuals are, where they affirm Tony Campolo and his wife. Best thing that they've got going for them. I've got the quotes I was looking for it up here. But I know time's up. Uh, oh, hey. Talk about it. Talk about that devil. They sent some guys to seminar on sleep eight. Huh? Sleep eight of them. You could do that. They came to seminar. <laughs> you could handle a larger, a larger group, can you? Listen to this, Tony Campolo. Uh, now, Muslims do not believe that Jesus died on the cross, so we have a difference there, he says. What we do have to what what we have to do is say we believe different things, but there's so much goodness in the Islamic community it cannot be ignored. Those who write off Islamic people are making a serious mistake. I would have to say that they are less inclined to do that than we are. We're more prone to write them off than they are to write us off. They're more inclusive. And he says when it comes to what is ultimately important, the Muslim community's sense of commitment to the poor is exactly in tune with where Jesus is. That is the description of Judgment Day. He says, And I would say, from a Christian perspective, and as much as you did it to the least of these, you did it unto Christ. If you did that as a Muslim, then you do have a personal relationship with Christ. Are you kidding me? That's what he says. This is wow. an interview with him. Off a radio station. That's asinine. <laughs> Thank you. He said... 
You had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you just didn't know it. Now you can be saved and not know it. He does. You just didn't know it. He says, don't think you have to compromise as a Christian to believe that Jesus is the only Savior. But what I do think we have to say is that the grace of God extends way beyond the limitations of any religious group. Muslims have to say, as they do say, that the grace of Allah extends beyond the Islamic community. They won't say that. No, they don't. <laughs> okay. That doesn't bother me. <laughs> but the fact that he's willing to extend grace beyond Christianity is getting me. Our, listen to what he says. Our Muslim brothers and sisters. Is that right? Jesus said, who's, the, who's my brother and my sister? He that does the will of God. So he says... Our brothers and sisters, but Muslim brothers and sisters, can say Islam is the only true faith. But we are not convinced that only Muslims enjoy salvation. I contend that there's no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. But I'm not convinced that the grace of God does not go further than the Christian community. Anybody got a problem with what did he just say? Was that not self-contradictory? Jesus is the way of salvation. However, here's what he says. Listen. I love this part. We must not allow our theologies to separate us. In the end, we all believe in the same God. Maybe we don't define God in the same way. Alright. Listen to this. Uh, I got one more comment from Tony. Rather than making theological statements, we need to tell each other our stories. Let's get in the sandbox. Okay. And let's tell our story. That's why they're not didactic. That's why they don't teach truth. They want to tell a story. They're narrative. They like to pull you into the story. Because if you teach the, the didactic, the teaching, the doctrinal portions of the text then it becomes commanding authority. You can't do that. That's judgmental, intolerant, and you're beginning to tell people you believe with a certainty. So let's tell a story, and both of us develop what we think about that story. You experience the story, then you'll know what truth is. The truth is unknowable. Here's Tony Campolo. This is the final one. I've got to believe that Jesus is the only Savior, but being a Christian is not the only way to be saved. Is this all in the same article? Jesus. It's an interview. It's the same one? I think so. Tony Campolo on Salvation. Yeah. It's an interview. He's gone crazy. He is lost. He's lost mind. his mind. He's a reprobate. He's a, he's a no, uh, apostate. I'm saying reprobate. He's an apostate. He's a defector of the faith. Exactly. He denies Jesus' exclusivity as the only way to God. Is that Hebrews 6? Yes, Hebrews 6 and 10. If you could do that. But since you can't do that, I believe. Yes. Anyway, can So, can you believe this stuff? I got, I got tons of this trash. Was there any more names you had? Yeah. Who did I say? You have uh, Let me make Ryan, McLean, Ken Jackson, Bill Crabb. <laughs> 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 Hold on just a second. Let me find these names. Brian McLaren, Rob Bell, Tony Campolo, Doug Pag Paget, Joel Osteen. Doug, Doug, Doug Paget. Let me tell you, I'm gonna recommend some guys you ought to listen to. The Bible calls names, by the way. 
But anyway, you got Brian McLaren, Rob Bell, Tony Campolo, Doug Paget, and Joel Osteen. These are just, you know, they, I'm not being mean-spirited, really, I'm not. These guys are heretics. These guys are heretics. They're not just bad. I don't even believe, this isn't just bad theology. No. These guys aren't Christians. No. That's a tough stance. Yeah, it's they're not Christians. No. But you undermine all knowability of... You say Jesus is not the only way to God. You're not saved. Not you're not only not saved, you don't know what the gospel is. No. That's why Joel's not going to get up and say, Jesus is the only way to God. No. You can't be saved. They ask him, what about Muslims? I played it up there for you at your congregation. What about Muslims? They ask him, what about Hindus? He said, all I know is they love God. Yeah. His first statement was this, postmodern. I don't know. What I do know is they love God. What God? John says, if you reject the Son, you don't have the Father. Okay? Now, guys I would recommend you listen to. C.J. Mahaney, Mark Driscoll, John Piper, Al Mohler, John MacArthur. They're good, conservative. I don't need John MacArthur to firm up what I believe about the Holy Ghost. No. I don't need that. I don't. I don't look for guys to show up what I already believe. But they well, help me on some of the things that I'm developing, progressing in to understand. And I don't mind a guy disagreeing with me. If he don't throw out the gospel, if he's Christ-centered, he's like one of the best interviews you'll hear on TV, secularized TV, is uh, Larry King when he interviews uh, apostates, reprobates, and John MacArthur. He's great. Loving. He'll share the gospel. And even better than that's Franklin Graham. Yes. He's going to preach the gospel. Wonderful. They'll want to know about... What about the poor in Africa? And he, uh, he'll talk to him about that. How did he get through telling about Jesus Christ? Born of a virgin, died a death for everybody, rose again, and you can be saved. And be. And then when he gets through, and then he'll say, and by the way, in Africa, he'll bring in whatever it is five minutes later. The brother's good. Okay. C.J. Mahaney, Mark Driscoll, John Piper, Al Mohler, John MacArthur. That's something that I can recommend. That, there are people I read after or listen to regularly. Uh. I'm missing somebody. Oh, uh, we always send out some web things. Nine Marks with Mark Deaver. Excellent. These brothers are great. You won't agree with everything. But then again, you've been wrong before. Is there any way you could put these on the mm -hmm. bibliography list? Uh-uh. No. I can't do it, but I'm sure somebody could. <laughs> uh, open source theology. Let me finish with this. It's the collective sense of contribution that gives shape to theology. And so, uh, th this stuff just gets worse as you look at it. Everything is incomplete and subjective and it's man-centered. That's why I believe Reformed theology is so important. Christ-centered. We have to have a, an exalted view of the Savior and a suspicious view of man. See, one writer said, your humility is in the wrong place. While you can be suspicious of yourself, never be suspicious of divine revelation. Never. This, this, I, the humility is misplaced. Trust God's Word. And don't trust yourself. Yes. That's good. The Lord help us. The Lord give you. Very good.